The biggest reason is, is I came from a very dogmatic way of thinking in my literal fundamental way of thinking in Mormonism. Mormonism, Mormonism. And so when I transitioned out of that, this whole world opens up, right? You don't know what to believe. You don't know what up is from down. And, and you're pretty much just grasping it, just evidence and facts. Evidence and facts. Evidence and facts. And so that's where I start to build, you know, my scaffolding of where I'm going to position myself from here on out. But when I get to a place where I'm leaning towards atheism, because that's where a lot of the evidence points, I'll acknowledge that. But there's still a lot of unknowns. There's still a lot of we're waiting to see how, you know, if technology and evidence and the scientific method can answer more questions in the future. But I feel like if I were to take that atheism label, I, I feel for myself, this is just for myself, that I would once again be subscribing to that dogmatic view. That I would once again be closing sort of that wide view that I have for myself now where I'm much more open. Mm -hmm. and, that's, and that's how I define agnosticism, where it's like, I want to be, I don't want to be completely closed off to really anything. Closed off to really anything. But it's infuriating too. Like, I mean, why is it that I have to walk down the street and I get an erection for no apparent reason? <laughs> this is Infants on Thrones. The philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and today I'm joined once again by Delaney Darko. And Tom, is that an infant in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me, Perry, to discuss the definitions of faith, hope, and atheist and agnostic from Peter Bogosian's A Manual for Creating Atheists. And a few of our Patreon supporters also chimed in as well as they sat in on the recording. So that's what you're in for today. Let's just jump right in. What, what did you guys think, um, uh, Tom and Delaney, of, of the way that we approached it last week? And I, I didn't even listen back to it. Oh, well, me either then. Well, yeah, so I'm not even <laughs> Did you record it? No, did, I didn't. Did you record a backup copy? No. No. Yeah, so I don't know how it went. I, I mean, my feeling was it went okay. Uh, it felt like Randy kept trying to pull the <laughs> discussion right off the friggin' rails, but that's all right. But that's typical, just Randy. Tip, typical Randy. That's just Randy. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and I think, um, probably the main point from last week, uh, was that it seemed like it was a little bombastic. It seemed like it was a little over the top. This, this idea of, um, having teaching people how to talk people out of their faith. But Tom, you, you, you actually weren't all that opposed to that. You, you thought it's not that bad of a thing to try to talk people out of using faith as an epistemology. See, and that's the part that I have to keep reminding myself. It's, it's not having faith in general. It's using faith as an epistemology, as a way of informing yourself about the world, as, as a way of learning and knowing. Right. Well, I don't necessarily have a problem with it, only insofar as I don't really have a problem with 
however anybody wants to approach things because you know as long as we're being careful how we accept things then it, i don't know it kind of reminds me of the book you know when we were talking about the book earlier you know do you have a problem with his approach his tone mm-hmm. stuff like that i don't necessarily because i read so many books that some of them do come off as abrasive or off-putting and stuff like that but you know i i I can actually still digest it and, and still take it for, you know, still put it in a value sort of category. So I don't, I don't really have a problem with his approach. I, and maybe it's more because I'm a little more used to it. I'm a little more callous to reading some of the more bombastic things, more aggressive tones, but yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. Cause I, cause I get sort of that motivation, sort of that, you know, fire and brimstone sort of, uh, talk where it's like we need to convert the world to my way of thinking. God damn it! And this this is the way it's got to be. And <laughs> I I can appreciate it. I don't necessarily agree with it. And I do know that you know Tom of old probably would have had a really got butt hurt about this sort of approach because you know I used to be very evangelical about the things that I like. You know I used to I used to get really what is it really stupid about push, <laughs> pushing my music on people. Like if, if people didn't like heavy metal, I didn't understand how they didn't. Really? So, yeah. I, was, I, I have, I, was, I have no, I, I have no, have no idea. No, I've, I've never had you tell me that I'm stupid for liking Beatles instead of Metallica. That's never, ever happened. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. But, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know why I, I, it's like, I just, I couldn't understand it's like if once I absorbed how things should be for myself, then obviously that's how it translates to everybody else. So yeah, that's yeah. how it works. Yeah. All right. Uh, and any final thoughts uh, from, from you Delaney before we move on to uh, the first topic, which is to define faith? Yeah. Um, I had a knee jerk, like Ugh, too abrasive in the intro, but like Tom said, I totally see what he's saying, and I think what he's prescribing could be very useful because yeah. I've been watching some street epistemology movies or videos on YouTube, and there's some really good discussions that people are having, and, and it's more of like a way to get people to think critically than necessarily deconvert them. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I, I you showed me the one uh, where the guy talks with the two Mormon missionaries, and and eventually I want to bring that one up and and kind of go through it. Um, I, and I've been listening. I haven't finished the book yet, but I was listening to it earlier today, and and he does bring up Mormonism quite a bit in the book, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, he does. Uh, he even had Mister Deity in the intro. We skipped over that. Oh, did we? I don't remember yeah. the Mister Deity part in the intro. Oh, oh, uh, Michael Shermer. Sure, sure, mm-hmm. references him. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. So the first, the first clip, and I'll go ahead and I'll play it. Um, I just need to pull it up here so we can listen to it. But it, it's about faith. And then I'll ask a series of questions afterwards and we can just go from there. As a street epistemologist, you'll find subjects will attempt to evade your help by asserting that every definition of faith offered is incorrect and that you, quote, just don't understand, unquote, what faith really is. When pressed, the faithful will offer vague definitions that are merely transparent attempts to evade criticism or simplistic definitions that intentionally muddy the meaning of faith. (laughs) 
the questions that I had that when, when I heard that, that clip, you know, first of all, he, he seems to be saying that people intentionally are doing this, uh, like they're intentionally muddying the water, um, or, or like almost, <laughs> almost that they can see that they're getting backed into a corner and that there's no way out. So they, they have to obfuscate to create a, an escape route. And I, I, I'm not totally comfortable with that. I don't think that's really what's going on in the mind of the faithful, but maybe I'm wrong. So I'm curious. Well, well are, you gen- are you generalizing though? I mean, do you think that's for everyone? I don't know. No, I, d- I don't know. What do you think? Well, I, th- I think that there could very well be people that have that intention. I do think it's probably a, mi- a minority, not everyone. I, I just, I can't, I can't, you, you know, like for for a, an approach that is so um, evidence-based, there's a lot of claims like this that I, I don't have the evidence for. I'm not saying that there isn't any, but I, you know, so, so that it, it's very straw manish. They say the, these people, and, and, and the reason that I'm, I, I'm think critical of it is because I think back when I was in the MTC and they were training us to teach investigators and they gave us the script and we would sit down and, and okay, I'll be the elder. You be the investigator. Right, and of course the investigator says exactly what the elder needs him to yeah. say in order to be converted. And it's just great. And so <laughs> like, I'm wondering, is that happening here as well where the, the, the faithful person is being represented in this way that they already know that you're right. Just like the investigators knows that the, that, you know, Mormons are right. The missionaries are right, but they're fighting it. So it, maybe that's the reaction that I have. That's kind of making me bristle at it. Yeah. But I, yeah, I don't think they're intentionally trying to op, op, see, I can't even say that word. Yeah. It's a hit or miss for me. Yeah. They, they are um, like really trying to make sense of their own beliefs out loud, I think. And it, it, it takes a lot of, effort to do that to a stranger or or like um i know if somebody approached me on the street and was talking to me and i was a believer i would be like okay this is my test to like to not deny what i know what i believe and um you see that in the street epistemology because he'll people will ask like well how confident are you in your belief and everyone says a hundred percent Hundred and two percent, I believe that Jesus is my savior. You know, and because it's like a, it's your test of faith. I think that's such a good point. It, it, it and, and I, I relate to that because I remember thinking whenever I was in a situation like that, I, the person that I was talking to wasn't even my primary audience. My primary audience was Jesus and Heavenly Father and yeah. angels above us. <laughs> right. I, taking. And so I, I've got this test of my faith. Am I going to be like Peter and deny Jesus? Um, or am I going to, you know, a, a, a assert my faith? So I, yeah. Well, so it's I, don't, like, I don't think people intentionally muddy the meaning of faith um, when they're doing it. I, I think that they're just so bought into it that they haven't thought it through. They haven't thought right. about it from the angles that a street epistemologist is coming at it. So it's really just very, very different approaches. 
Yes, but it is disingenuous to say, I know this church is true when clearly you don't. You're projecting, right? It's just like you're saying, you're convincing yourself. And if you know God and Jesus are looking at your heart, it's like, well, I have to convince myself so that the, when they look in my heart, they're like, oh, wow, he really believes. Well, but if, but if you're doing that, it, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying, Tom. But, but if, you are, if you're saying uh, that, that God and Jesus are listening to what I'm saying and I've got to make them happy, even if I don't really believe this or not, <laughs> right. you're starting from this belief that God and Jesus are listening to you. So is yeah, that a belief or yeah. isn't it? Yeah, fair enough. Even if you're like, well, maybe they are, maybe they're not, but I'm going to cover my bases here. I mean, it's- <laughs> if I'm, yeah, I got to make sure just in case they are listening or watching. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, I think, I, I don't know how dis- it's easy to look back on it and say it was disingenuous to say, I know, but in the, in, in the spirit, in the moment, when you're feeling the spirit, you really do feel like, I, I can remember times where I like really did. Well, you just really oh, I thought I knew. But you didn't, yeah, but you didn't actually. So that's, that's that, like even when I look back, I'm like, I, I was playing this sort of like mind game with myself and everyone that I was talking to like, okay, if I say I know, you guys are going to think that I know and I'm going to think that I know and hey, <laughs> I convinced I convinced myself, all you guys and God and Jesus, if they're looking at my heart. So, yeah, projecting it. Is, is it disingenuous to just sincerely be wrong? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think so. I, I mean, especially if you if you're raised in in this and you're you're taught that to interpret certain feelings as being confirmation of truth, and then you're true to that teaching that you've always had. I. I just, I don't think it's disingenuous. Um, anyway. Yeah, I disagree. I think it is. You do? So what does yeah. disingenuous mean to you, Tom? It means that you're not, you're not being forthright, right? That you're sending a mixed message, right? So you're, if you're saying, I know this church is true, when, come on, man, you clearly don't know. I mean, nobody really knows. And even if you pull them away from the pulpit and say, come on, man, you you really know this church is true? I mean, really? Well, that's what we're supposed to say, isn't it? I mean, you know, I'm just playing a part. and I, I feel like I know. So does that mean something? No, it doesn't. Because you don't actually know. Like, what is this smoke and mirrors thing that you're doing? If you know, you know. Like, you know that this, you know, you can't put your hand through this desk. Okay, that you know. But, you know, you don't know if the church is true because you're just exercising hope and faith. No, I hate that word. <laughs> especially in a mormon context man i mean it's always been it's always been this like irritating thing like it's yeah. sitting in a, t- in a testimony meeting i know and it's like my eyes are rolling back in my head oh fuck you you don't know shit come on <laughs> the best that most you know is that you're actually up there speaking and wearing clothes that's about it my daughter asked once in sacrament meeting she was like how come everyone gets up there and says, I know about everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and my husband's a still believing member and, and goes to church and he was like, it means they believe in it. So, I mean, like even you're right. If you press anybody on it, I think there's this walking back. Yeah. And see, that's- you can't really be sure. But the thing that I don't, um, Bogosian, he doesn't give any weight to having 
it's not just like an objective questioning of the meaning of truth for people. People are having their whole life and scaffolding questioned. It's not right. a matter of. You, you mean in these, in these interact, like what he calls yeah. treatments? Yeah. It's not a matter of just like logistically defining words and mm-hmm. um, I mean it is, but, but when people are defining faith or telling people what they believe that all has a background of their whole lives and how they see the world and and what they've invested like as members of the church to question your faith is to question all the time and tithing and your your social structure and oh my gosh what if i didn't believe then like my parents would hate me and blah blah blah. you know it's all of that that's on the line and he and he does talk about this later in the book, um, almost almost as a way of defending his approach by saying people need to realize that we're talking about beliefs. We're we're not talking about them. We're talking about the process of coming to know things. We're not talking about them as individuals. And, and what I hear you saying, Delaney, is that you really can't make that separation and distinction because when you are the individual and someone questions your belief, they question your faith, you have so much personal identity attached yeah. to that, right. that that you can't, you don't have that, that psychic distance, that, that emotional uh, detachment from it to really be able to look at something separately under a microscope in clinical conditions. It's, it's mm-hmm. a part of you. Well, you, and I kind of get why he, he comes at it with that approach where, you know, from that perspective, it's like your beliefs are misguided, so turn them off. And then what you were saying, Delaney, like, well, it's not that easy. Like there's all this work that I've done to get myself to this point and I invested so much in it. So I can't, it's not a switch. I can't just turn it off. Like it would take weeks and years to dismantle all the stuff that I've put in into this. Yeah, that's, that's part of that short sightedness that I don't think, I mean, I've been guilty of doing that too, because once you, once you, you know, flip to the other side where you start to see things in a different light and it's like, all you guys just need to flip your switches like I did. Right. And I, and it's like, it's easy for me to forget like, Oh, that was a very painful, very thorough, very long journey that I, that I was going on. It wasn't a switch. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. So uh, let, let's go on to the next clip, which is about deepities. More common still are what horseman Daniel Dennett terms deepities. A deepity is a statement that looks profound, but is not. Deepities appear true at one level, but on all other levels are meaningless. Here are some examples of deepities. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11. Faith is not to have a perfect knowledge of things. Therefore, if ye have faith, ye hope for things which are not seen, which are true. Alma 32.21. So, so what, do you, what do you guys think about deepities? Um, I put in my notes, I was writing in my book, and I put conference talks. Conference talks are filled with deepities. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're mining for deepities, you could get rich in conference talks. Yeah. <laughs> and just about every inspirational quote out there on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Chicken soup for the soul, sort of thing. Yeah. You're just yeah. like, oh, that's so profound. <laughs> 
but uh, is it really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is this, it really? this is. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm good. Okay, I, I was going to say th- th- this is one of the reasons I really wanted Jake on here because because he and I used to kind of go back and forth about deep doctrine, <laughs> and and a, a lot of the deep doctrines could be deep at ease. You know, I <laughs> I, I I still bristle because I've got I like I'm really sensitive. I'm really defensive. I guess this is the TBM whisper uh, in <laughs> me that I'm like re- really sensitive of people to uh, of, of people of faith and and. Um, when somebody says something that's profound and you don't think that it's profound, but they do, you're kind of an asshole. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> and, and you're like, Oh, that's a deep at E. And I, I like, <laughs> I, I took a linguistics class when I was at BYU from uh, Dallin H whatever his son is, Dallin Oaks jr. Um, and he talked about the sound, the, the sound E and how the sound E is usually something that people put on a word to make it seem small or to make it seem insignificant or to dismiss it like teeny, tiny, puny, <laughs> deepity, you know? So it, it, oh, it, it's really, really dismissive, even at this linguistic value uh, uh, level. And I just don't know, like if, when you're talking about um, being disingenuous, Tom, uh-huh. If a street epistemologist is engaging somebody in a conversation and they think that this person is just a complete idiot because they're faithful, they're believing in things, they're spouting all these deepities, but they're going through the motions of asking questions and engaging them to try and help them. Isn't that kind of disingenuous too? Yeah, I guess it is in a way. Um, I don't know, man. Like It feels like for those of us that have done a pretty good job of at least pulling ourselves away and being at least striving to be more objective, it's hard for me to look back at their perspective and say, Oh no. Yeah. Uh, let me legitimize and verify and, and whatever your perspective, because, Oh, you know, I, I need to be sensitive. I, I guess. Yeah. I'm a little more callous that way. I'm like, once you've done your due diligence, then, then let's talk about it. You, you know, because I don't, I, just, I guess I need to work on my patience more. Is that it? Yeah, I think that's what it is. I need to be more patient with people, I guess. Some people. Yeah, not me. Not not Glenn. I, <laughs> I've got all the patience in the world. Oh, yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> you, you know, like I can sit here and bristle and feel, um, you know, empathetic towards faithful people, but that's not how I really am. You know, like when I'm out driving around and I see the bumper sticker that says the family that prays together or stays together or something like that, I'm like, deepity. That's stupid. <laughs> you know, like I'm totally judgmental all the time, but it's like when I get into this mode and I start critic, like criticizing my own inner critic, I'm like, ah, oh, that's probably not the best way to be. I don't know. I just don't like the whole deepity thing. And and I think it it further puts a wedge between people of faith and the people who mock the people of faith. (laughs) And that doesn't help anyone. Well, doesn't it seem like that it just kind of falls down to being judgmental instead of being understanding who has the right to be, who has the right to be judgmental because that was another, that was another thing that led me out of the church. I just got so sick and tired of the guy that stands up and says, our oh, father in heaven, we are so 
eternally fervently grateful that we are the most blessed and the most humble <laughs> of all of thy children. Right. Oh, the most blessed and the most humble, say you. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, I just, I, <laughs> um, yeah. So like we're, we're as, as Mormons, as members of the one true church, we're able to judge the rest of the world, but do it lovingly because, you know, uh, yeah, we have good intentions. So yeah. that's, that's something. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Um, so uh, another thing I'm just uncomfortable with. <laughs> yeah, me too. But I was just going to add to those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. It is clear that the father and the son are giving away the secrets of the universe. Are you giving another example of a deepity? <laughs> yes. That yeah. deepity is brought to you by <laughs> President Mueller Maxwell. This no, is brought to you by Maxwell. I always, would, yeah. I always got Maxwell and Nelson confused. But. Hey, Bob did a pretty good uh, Maxwell when we were doing that uh, Reese's peanut butter cup thing. I had forgotten how Maxwell was. <laughs> so, 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 oh, like, did he? Because I, I can't even picture what, what he sounds like. Yeah, he, he kind of he kind of had this little little bit of a mumble kind of thing later in life. <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> yeah, uh, cool. Bob tuned in. Okay, ready for the next clip? Mm-hmm. Please. Uh, please. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. I've got all the patience in the world. Being me. I got all the patience in the world for you. The word faith is a very slippery pig. We need to get our hands on it, pin it to the ground, and wrap a blanket around it so that we can have something to latch onto before we finally and permanently subdue it. Two definitions of faith. One. Belief without evidence. Belief without evidence. without evidence. Belief without evidence. My definition of faith is that it's a leap over the probabilities. It fills in the gap between what's improbable to make something more probable than not without faith. If one had sufficient evidence to warrant belief in a particular claim, then one wouldn't believe the claim on the basis of faith. Two, pretending to know things you don't know. Pretending Pretending to know things things you don't know. As a street epistemologist, Whenever you hear the word faith, just translate this in your head as pretending to know things you don't know. My faith is beneficial for me. Pretending to know things I don't know is beneficial for me. I have faith in God. I pretend to know things I don't know about God. Life has no meaning without faith. Life has no meaning if I start pretending to know things I don't know. You have faith in science. You pretend to know things you don't know about science. Why should people stop having faith if it helps them get through the day? Why should people stop pretending to know things they don't know if it helps get them through the day? Teach your children to have faith. Teach your children to pretend to know things they don't know. She's having a crisis of faith. She's having a crisis of pretending to know things she doesn't know. Alternatively, she is struck by the fact that she's been pretending to know things she doesn't know. I don't disagree with a lot that he said, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it kind of goes back to the, that disingenuous thing. You know, I, I'm pretending to know things that I don't actually know. But how, how, do, how do you, that's the thing is like, that I pull myself back. Like, how do you convince someone who's a believer of that? Like you're just pretending to believe something that you don't actually believe because that's super insulting. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I agree with them on principle, but yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't even, I don't like the word pretending. I don't, I don't like. What would you sub in for that instead of pretending? 
imagining <laughs> believing they don't, they don't feel like they're pretending yeah no they don't yeah you're right uh, yeah i mean because because just the word pretending um implies awareness and intention and i don't think that's going on there what what was the first um definition of faith that he gave belief without evidence mm-hmm. i i don't know what what belief with evidence is called <laughs> knowledge. yeah knowledge yeah exactly. so so like b- belief without evidence oops i okay i i think there are other elements of faith um that he didn't talk about in here and i haven't really given this a lot of thought i probably should have but i think the word loyalty um is a really important part of faith especially the way that i experienced it um as, as a Mormon, because this was what my parents taught me. So th- there was trust that was involved. They, they taught me certain things um, and I trusted them and I was loyal to them. I was loyal to my grandparents. I was loyal to my leaders. There's an element of love in being loyal and not questioning and being obedient. And like all of that stuff is wrapped up in faith that didn't really get touched on in these two definitions. But again, I mean, my response was a lot like yours, Tom. I didn't really have major problems with the way that he defined faith here. Um, Let me, let me push pause on that for a second. So how how the expectations that you had this loyalty. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Why are you, are you conflating the fact that you had, whether it's expectations from your family heritage or whatever, and you're conflating that into the faith that you had or the, the faith you should have? Con- conflating. Why, why do you use the word conflating? It felt, well, I, I interpreted that you were talking about loyalty as a part of faith. Yeah. So I guess I'm not bridging the gap on that. Help me understand that better. Well, so, you know, anytime you're using words, they mean different things in different contexts, right? So think about if you're asking if your wife is faithful to you. Another another way of saying that is, is she loyal to you, um, right? And so are you faithful to your beliefs? Are you faithful to your religion? Are you loyal to your beliefs? Are you loyal to your religion? That's kind of what I mean. And, and, oh, okay. and, and, and to Delaney's point earlier about how there's so much personal identity and group identity that's tied into your faith, I, I think a big aspect of that is the loyalty that you feel to your faith tradition and, and to your community, well, and especially yeah. in, in Mormonism, because it's so pervasive. Yeah. It touches on every single element of your life. Sure. Um, that there, there really is a strong point of loyalty to it. And I think that's, that's why when people leave the church and do anti-Mormon podcasts and things like that, <laughs> anti-Mormon podcasts. you are, we, we have betrayed we, we have violated the oaths of loyalty that, that we have given and we're kicked out, you know, it's part of that being ostracized from the group because we're not being loyal to it. So I, I think there's the, and, and really what I'm saying is I think that there's more to faith than just those two definitions oh. that he gave. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I'll, I'll agree with you there. I just feel like loyalty it's like a, it's an external element that pushes, that can even help push you into faith. But I, I've always pictured faith as a very, uh, I don't know, an independent sort of isolating thing that it's internalized. Loyalty feels like an external pressure, 
but I, I get, I guess I get where you're making, you know, connecting the dots, but I, it still feels very separate to me. I mean, that's, this, this is how screwy is like this definition of words thing. Yeah. It always throws me, man. Like yeah. the definition of truth. Ooh, let's talk about that. <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk about the definition of belief, which again, that even that confuses the hell out of me. Yeah. Like your, your take on it when, when I think it was that clip that you shared leading up to this saying, I want to know what Peter's definition of belief is. Right. And yeah. You took all these classes on the, the definition of belief. And at the end of your class, you, everybody left like still not sure what the definition of belief is or on a, on a common definition anyways. And that to me was, I, I totally agree on that. I, we, I think there should be some sort of universal definition of belief and a universal definition of truth just so I can freaking live my life and not have these discussions over these goddamn definitions. Yeah. Well, it boils down to semantics and I think that's why it's frustrating because it's just, is it, it's just relative to, how people want to define the word for themselves. Yeah. And, and uh, it's, I don't even think it's something that we really think about all that much. We just kind of learn it. Mm-hmm. We learn the context where it's used, then we use it. Yeah. So, so those two definitions of, of uh, faith, Matt just texted me. He's not going to be joining, but what a dick. we're doing all right. We're doing all right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. He, did doing... say, he said, sorry, homie. So that that makes it kind of okay, you know. All right, the homie part makes it. Like, it's okay, we're still don't. buds, right? <laughs> He's all hipster when he texts. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So, so again, I I think the pretending to know things you don't know, um, can be helpful in certain situations. But but I, I get it's just so dismissive. I can't quite swallow it. I had so, the same reaction. Yeah. It was like. I get what he's saying and I pretty much agree with him, but I just don't like this whole, I pretend to know things. Yeah. I think I know things that I don't really know. I'd be more comfortable with that than even the word pretend. Yeah. Okay. So, so how about this? Can you, can you even imagine or pretend that there's one Mormon that you, that you know of or can, you know, bring up in your head that this sort of approach would work on? Is there anyone? (laughs) Uh, No. Absolutely and, none. Well, and, and again, the, the, I, I would ask, what, what is your uh, criteria for success if you're saying that it would work? Does it mean that you have to convert them to your way of thinking? Does I it think that's what he's in for, yeah. Yeah, but, but I think he's also saying you could plant seeds. You, you could put a little splinter in a finger that then that festers over time until it eventually, uh, you know, they, they, it gets infected and they die. <laughs> and that's that success, you know, the, or their yeah. faith does the faith virus that they infected with dies. the infection spread, man. Yeah. Um, and then you've cured them. <laughs> yeah, you've cured them or yeah. killed them, right? Cured them. Yeah. Well, actually, I take that back. I think there's a lot of people, if pressed, would say, "I don't know, but it's what I choose to believe." Yeah. Yeah. And and they'd be really super annoyed with you for making them say that. <laughs> yeah. They're like, yeah. duh. Yeah. Okay. I realize that this is just something that we say, but we say it because we love it. We're loyal. So don't be disloyal. Yeah. Does that make you happy now? Yeah. <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> I actually, you know, it, it kind of makes me think of sort of the, the new approach online where people have got to be so harsh and brash and direct 
into way into the way of thinking like if I make this comment on this person's thread, it's going to wake them up and I'm going to say, you are dead wrong and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it's like, how, how is it that you think that you're connecting or you're making your point in an effective way? Aren't you just coming across as being a dick? Yeah. But you know, I, I think it, it's, it's more of a, a window to that person that's writing that comment or like Peter, you know, his approach by saying, you know, I have something that I can share with you that I really feel that is legitimate and I'm going to even take very lowbrow approaches by, you know, even being dismissive and even rude to your position in order to make my point. Yeah. All right. We ready for the next clip? I was just going to say something. Yeah, Matt. Um, So I watched a lot of the street epistemology videos and the thing that that got me was like in all of those videos, they're very Mm non-confrontational. So I was really surprised by his approach, just how like bombastic he was. Right. Uh, And and I, I don't know. I just like why I guess he's training people to be street epistemologists or whatever, but like when it comes off in practice, like none of this, I mean, it's all about non-confrontation. It's just kind of like planting these seeds. Yes. And, and, and he, he does call this out uh, later in the book where he's talking about, you know, you, you want to get on their good side. You want to befriend them. You don't want to make this, this oppositional uh, attack kind of thing. And it seems, but, but, he's saying that like he's in the dojo and he's ready. You know, it's like, this is Cobra Kai coming at you. Take no prisoners, you know, kind of, <laughs> kind of yeah, it's just, yeah, it, it, it is, it is a little bit um, inconsistent. The, the tone, you know, but there's still a part of me that thinks it, it might be very improbable, but even if he reaches 1% of people out there, does that make his approach completely invalid? You know, this, you know, I think of the, the street people, you know, like at the general conference to stand out there saying, you know, uh, Satan lives within these walls or, you know, and they're wearing garments or whatever, just trying to be completely disrespectful. And what's their purpose? They're trying to send a message (laughs) that I think doesn't land on what 99% of people's ears, but it might land on 1%. Yeah. Yeah. And I, well, I mean, I, I think there's, there's, there's definitely value in the things that he's talking about. And when, when he gets later and he starts talking about the Socratic method of questioning, um, that, that's the part I was listening to today. It, it, it's good stuff. It is, it is really helpful. Um, but, but again, there's this strange uh, tone that he uses in the way that he narrates his own audiobook. that maybe if you're reading it, off the page, you don't get. There's a street epistemologist, Anthony Magnabosco, who has a ton of videos out there, and he has one where he's doing a seminar that says, we're doing it wrong, street epistemology. So he talks about this approach that I like better, where it's more of a conversation about beliefs. But I still find it disingenuous from the street guy, because it's like, you got, you got to befriend them. You don't want to be confrontational, but it's all in an effort to look friendly to like 
question there. Yeah, you've got you, you've got this agenda. Yeah. That that very you might say I'm not a wolf in sheep's clothing. You think that I'm a wolf in sheep's clothing, but I'm not really a wolf. <laughs> I'm not I'm not here to devour you, just your faith. Yeah. <laughs> just right. just the thing that you think is the most important thing in your life that you're wrong about. It really isn't. And you'll be fine without it. You'll be better without it. You'll the be world better. will be better yeah. if you don't have it. And I'm going to take it away from you and and you're going to thank me for it. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. You're yeah. welcome. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with that approach. I just I just think it's important to recognize that there is an agenda and when they come up to people and say, yeah, I just, I just want to talk to people about their beliefs and, and tell me what yours is. And people are always like, Oh yeah, yeah. I'll talk to you about my beliefs. And little do they know they're like, you know, five minutes later being questioned. Seriously. Sometimes it goes really well though. And that's when I'm like, Oh, okay. This is good. (laughs) Well, how many of you got your mom to leave the church? Me, street, epi- street epistemologist victory. If she's listening, would she really agree to that? Oh no, 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 she, she, no, no, no. She absolutely is like, oh no, it was me. Yeah, you can't right. Take credit for this, Glenn. You can't yeah. take credit for this. I'm like, okay, whatever. If, if you would have never listened to Infants on Thrones, you'd still be in the church, but maybe not. Maybe not. But but I, you know, like I, I never, I, I wasn't confrontational with her when when we would have conversations. Well, that's not true. She wouldn't agree with that either. She'd say, no, you were very hard on me. Okay. We should just stop talking about my mom. (laughs) (laughs) You dug yourself a little hole there. All right. Let's go for the next clip. Faith is not hope. The term faith as the faithful use it in religious contexts needs to be disambiguated from words such as promise, confidence, trust, and especially hope. Promise, confidence, trust, and hope are not knowledge claims. One can hope for anything or place one's trust in anyone or anything. This is not the same as claiming to know something. To hope for something admits there's a possibility that what you want may not be realized. For example, if you hope your stock will rise tomorrow, you are not claiming to know your stock will rise. You want your stock to rise, but you recognize there's a possibility it may not. If you hope something happened, you're not claiming it did happen. When the faithful say, Jesus walked on water, they're not saying they hope Jesus walked on water, but rather are claiming Jesus actually did walk on water. I, I, I really, really like that distinction. Um, it was really helpful. I thought to, to think about the difference between hope and faith, because I, I did this thing and maybe some of you did this as well. Um, as you're starting to question your belief in the church, um, and you want to be able to talk about it, but you don't want people to like start dismissing you. You, you, you kind of soften the, I know that the church is true with, I hope that the church is true or I believe that the church is true or I want the church to be true. You know, like, <laughs> God, well, I hope that yeah. there's a God. Is that good enough? Hope can is I, still part of faith, right? Yeah. Can I still get a Scooby snack if I say that I hope? <laughs> like, no, mm-mm, sorry, that's not going to cut it. Hope isn't going to cut it. 
But in the uh, scriptures, hope and faith are related, though. That's the thing. Is like even when I was listening to this clip, I, I don't remember the the Bible verse where hope and faith are almost interchangeable in yeah. definition. Was it Hebrews? I don't remember. Yeah, I pulled it up. Let me find it. It's just a deepity. Yeah, really. <laughs> Let's get some scriptorians in here, man. But uh, yeah, I I feel like, and I was I was exactly where you were describing Glenn. I was that guy. It's like, well, because I remember this interview I was having with my bishop and he's like, all right, so, you know, Thomas S. Monson, do you still believe he's a prophet? And I was like, well, I hope he is. I mean, that, I mean, am, am I not giving you something? I mean, hope and faith are relatively interchangeable. So that still keeps me on the faith spectrum somewhat, right? So I'm I still legit. I can't get excommunicated for hoping it's true, can I? You can't take my temple recommend for just hoping things, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. But it is. It, it just has this wishy-washy feel. It's unacceptable. No, I, and, I actually agree with him, too, that I like the distinction between hope and faith that they're yeah, there's a bigger difference in it in that. And the thing is, is even with church leaders, if if they start to hear that, where someone gets up and says, "Yeah, so uh, I I believe it's true?" question mark <laughs> Then then it's like, then they get the red flags in their mind, like, "Oh, we got ourselves a doubter over here. Yeah. We need to do something about this." Yeah, doubting Thomas. Yeah, literally, that's his name too. Weird. <laughs> yeah. Did you find the scripture? Yeah, it's Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Oh, yeah. He used that in the, uh, yeah. one of the earlier clips. Yeah, I think that is on par with Mormon doctrine. I mean, faith is knowledge. It's equated to knowledge. This is the seminary lesson. It's hope, yeah. faith, knowledge. Yeah. Well, and it's the Alma 32 where if you, if you can only hope to... It, what, is that the language? You know, if you can only hope to have something be true and you plant that seed and then you water it and you let it grow and then yep. eventually it becomes faith and eventually it becomes knowledge and it starts with the seed of, of hope. So yeah, there is like a, a progression there. I think that scripture from Hebrews is interesting there because it says that faith is evidence. Mm-hmm. It's not. <laughs> it's not evidence. You're throwing shade on scriptures, Glenn? Yes, I am. If you have faith, you hope I don't even hope that they're, they're true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even hope that it's I true. I don't even hope. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anything more on hope? No. Because we, we got to get to the agnostic shit. We got, we got two more yeah. clips. We've got the, the definition of atheist, which is really a quick clip. And then the, the, agnostic, the agnostic one is the longest one. And that's where you get put on trial. Time. Oh yeah. Hot diggity. Damn. Let's see Hot how diggity. this works out. <laughs> Hot diggity. Damn. Atheist. As I use the term means there's insufficient evidence to warrant belief in a divine supernatural creator of the universe. However, if I were shown sufficient evidence to warrant belief in such an entity, then I'd believe. So show me. And then I believe. Yeah. What, what, what type? That sounds like Korahor. What, what, uh, what, what, what kind of evidence would an atheist accept? I, I, and in the book, he gives an example of like, 
he's quoting somebody, I don't remember who it was, but if all of the stars in the sky were lined up to spell, hi, I am God, I'm here right now, then I'd believe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, show, just show me a miracle. Show me that you're real. I, I, I was thinking of the, of the uh, Brother Jake Weird Alma uh, musical that they did. <laughs> it was great. They were making fun of Brother of Jared, right? Um, and the fact that, you know, God was like, okay, I'm not going to show you all of myself, but I will show you my finger as I touch. Which, which finger? Yeah. Well, God gave a, the brother Jared the finger. Maybe the finger. Yeah. I gave him the finger. So, you know, it's like, I'm not going to give you everything, but a nice little teaser. I'll give you my index. That'll, God, give, that'll, that'll when, give you faith. When God fingered the brother of Jared. Oh my God. <laughs> really? He took it there, dude? <laughs> I just wanted to see how many people would shake their heads. All of them. Everybody. I'm not disappointed. Yeah. There's people <laughs> listening to this right now shaking their heads. Yeah. yeah. Good Good for me. Yeah, good for you. I made it happen. So, we're, we're okay with that definition of atheist? Atheism is the lack of anything sort of faith-related. We need uh, our, so, so, like, according to that definition of, of atheist, Tom, would you be comfortable calling yourself an atheist? oh there's the sigh i did no i did that too no no i'm not comfortable no why where you just require evidence that's it end of story so you only go with evidence i still think that there's a lot of room to speculate i guess i was gonna say believe but i guess right but we don't know what that word means yeah um (laughs) what about hope he didn't use the word hope. He, he, he would probably be okay. Like an atheist can hope for God. They just don't believe it because there's not enough evidence. Well, see, so, okay, if, if we want to go down the scientific route of, you know, if, for these atheists who get all butthurt about, well, I, I will only <laughs> believe in something that's actually provable. And I'm like, okay, the, orig, the origin of life, man. I mean, there's a whole lot of unknowns about that. How did life show up? How did it start? Then it's like, well, we got theories. I was like, there we go. That's exactly right. We don't exactly know how it started. Right, but they're not claiming that they do know, though. But all the, but all the speculation is where I'm like, okay, yeah. There is still speculation. There's still forms of belief. Like if you like one particular theory over another, then I feel like, okay, it's not total evidence. Does that right. make sense? Or am I well, yeah, except, except I think that it is. Uh, so what, one of the things I've been... Uh, I've been watching Curiosity Stream, um, and I, I what is that? What's Curiosity? Curi- Stream? Curiosity Stream is an app on the Apple TV that it just has like nature documentaries and things like that. Oh, okay. Um, so, so we we put that on for Zoe instead of like Disney Channel. <laughs> like we're, <just> watching, <laughs> we're gonna educate stuff. We're like watch yeah. a, watch a documentary about animals. Um, That's awesome. But uh, but so that. The one I watched a couple of days ago was this debate between Einstein and Niels Bohr about quantum mechanics and and specifically about entanglement, this idea of entanglement and what Einstein called like spooky connections or something like that between Uh from, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, so here's two scientists that they have 
the same evidence in front of them, but right. they're interpreting it in different ways. And so that, that, that's all I'm trying to say, Tom, is that, yeah, you, you've got different theories and people will subscribe to different theories, but it's, it's still based on the way that they're interpreting evidence. And there's, I'm sure there's other factors involved as well, where Einstein's just like, this is way too creepy and spooky. There's no way I'm going to accept what you're saying here because it would undermine everything that we know. Right. And I guess, I guess Einstein was that, wrong, by the way. The what? Einstein was wrong, by the way. He was wrong, huh? He was wrong. Yes. Bort, oh. Niels Bohr. It, it, there was a, a experiment that proved it anyway. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I think just that, about that one thing. I'm not saying that Einstein was wrong about everything. He, that's what it sounded like. You said, calm Einstein down, wrong, calm down. No, no, on this specific <laughs> issue about quantum entanglement. Everybody Einstein, throw out your E equals MC squared. He was wrong about that too. <laughs> no, I, that's, I guess, building off of that. So there's a lot of lack of evidence that's out there, a lot. And, you know, we're we're hopeful that, you know, science will get to a point where a lot of questions will start to get answered with evidence and facts and stuff like that. But until then, I don't have a problem with saying, hey, you know, there's plenty of room for speculation that I feel like can fit in the belief. Yeah. Tom, aren't you just making a case for the God of the gaps where there's so much we don't know? Yeah, I guess I I kind of am, but but I'm not putting God in those gaps. I'm just putting like the word, uh, well, a very loose definition of a belief in that gap where it's like, if, if you believe that life came from a meteor that hit earth from some unknown place and that's cause that's just a theory. Then I feel like, well, you're still exercising a form of speculation, hence belief in that theory. There's no evidence of it that we have. So anyway, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't I, I, I don't think that Borgosian would um have a problem with what you're saying because it's 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 getting away from his main thesis, which is saying that faith is not a reliable epistemology. Right. And well, and you're not you're not saying that it is. No, I'm not. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I agree with him simplistically. I just feel like if he had a little more time or if he wanted to elaborate a little bit more, maybe he could say, well, when it comes to a lack of evidence, because that's a big question to me. If there's yeah. no evidence, then what? So anyway, so, 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 so for you, the, the, the question, uh, again, you're still not comfortable identifying as an atheist because like to you, do, do you think that atheists um, are too certain that there's no God and that level of certainty isn't? comfortable to you oh this this is a teaser for the agnostic it's coming up it's the next yeah, I know, clip all right yeah so I'm, I'm gonna hold off answering that question until that part because all right i have thoughts on that okay agnostics profess to not know whether there's an undetectable metaphysical entity that created the universe agnostics think there's not enough evidence to warrant belief in god but because it's logically possible they remain unsure of god's existence again an agnostic is willing to revise her belief if provided sufficient evidence. The problem with agnosticism is that in the last 2,400 years of intellectual history, not a single argument for the existence of God has withstood scrutiny. Not one. Aquinas's five proofs fail. Pascal's wager fail. Anselm's ontological argument fail. The fine-tuning argument fail. The Kalam cosmological argument fail. All refuted, all failures. 
I dislike the terms agnostic and agnosticism. I advise street epistemologists to not use these terms. This is why. I don't believe Santa Claus is a real person who flies around in a sleigh led by reindeer delivering presents. I am a Santa Claus atheist. Even though there's nothing logically impossible about this phenomenon, I am not a Santa Claus agnostic. That is, a large man in a red suit delivering presents at the speed of light is not a logical contradiction. Agnostic and agnosticism are unnecessary terms. Street epistemologists should avoid them. Go for it, man. Go for it, man. Can't touch this. I like the Randy. That was good. <laughs> Almost threw me off my my thought process there. Okay. Man, this guy and his he's just swinging hammers and axes fail. Agnosticism <laughs> fail. There's no evidence in 2000 years. You guys suck. Fail. <laughs> I just can't I, just, I mean, what what an agenda this guy's really driving at. I mean, he just has no room. He's like, "Okay, we've got atheism and nothing else." It's just like, "Man, really? You really he's, see okay, this is what it's coming down for me. This is the reason why I still claim to be and, and label myself as agnostic. The biggest reason is, is I came from a very dogmatic way of thinking in my literal fundamental way of thinking in Mormonism. And so when I transitioned out of that, this whole world opens up, right? You don't know what to believe. You don't know what up and is from down and, and you're pretty much just grasping it, just evidence and facts. And so that's where I start to build, you know, my scaffolding of where I'm going to position myself from here on out. But when I get to a place where I'm leaning towards atheism, because that's where a lot of the evidence points, I'll acknowledge that. But there's still a lot of unknowns. There's still a lot of we're waiting to see how, you know, if technology and evidence and the scientific method can answer more questions in the future. And maybe that'll narrow things down. I feel like if I were to take that atheism label, I, I feel for myself, this is just for myself, that I would once again be subscribing to that dogmatic view. That I would once again be closing sort of that wide view that I have for myself now where I'm much more open. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's how I define agnosticism, where it's like I want to be, I don't want to be completely closed off to really anything. I want to be open enough that even if I take the label atheist, even just for myself, I feel like I'm closing certain doors that I don't want closed. Yeah. And it, and it might just be that I'm squabbling over definitions and maybe Peter's definition of atheism would still fit in my agnosticism def- definition. I don't know. But I feel like for me that when I say that, it's like I I just don't want to fall in those dogmatic sort of literal traps that I, that I used to be in. And so it's much more comfortable for me by saying, I don't know. And even, even when it comes to being an atheist, like, well, I, what I can say is I know there's no God. So there you go. Agnostic. Uh, to me, it's like, well, okay. what a pansy street epistemologist you would make. Tom. I know I would. I'd be, be so wishy-washy. Yeah, that's why he doesn't want people like you. I know, fighting the fight. <laughs> but I, but I, I, to, I agree with what you're saying. I, I feel, I feel a lot like that too. 
I mean, maybe he feels more comfortable and maybe other people do when they take on that label and it doesn't, it doesn't put you in sort of those mental traps that I used to, that, you know, I feel like if I fell into that more of that dogmatic thinking, I know what would happen. You know, it, I still am like pulling that black and white thinking out of my brain and I, there's still a lot of baggage that I haven't gotten through. And I feel like if I were to say, okay, yeah, I'm an atheist, closed doors. Now, now I can move forward in this tunnel that I have created for myself. To me, it's like, no, I, I know what happens to myself when I get that way, when I start to close off certain things. And so for me, when I take that term as stupid as it is, I feel like I'm keeping a broader scope up. So anyway, yeah. that's it. I'm okay with it. With what? With his I'm definition? Calling myself an atheist. Okay. Do you, you don't feel like you're falling in any sort of dogmatic traps or anything like that? Oh, it's definitely there, and there's there's so much like appeal to authority and and dogma within the world of atheism and and secularism too. You have to be careful, but for me, I'm just kind of like a call it what it is person and if I don't know see I don't know what evidence out there would even work to persuade me because I'd be like well what what god am I looking for what clues am I looking for the Christian god the Mormon god uh, a, a god as in an energy a god somewhere in the physical universe you know there's so many criteria to answer to, to like what do you mean by god you know but um still any evidence would have to be independent of any cultural or historical bias and so far that's all we have that's impossible i know yeah i know that's all we have to go off of to define god yeah so it kind of sounds like you're saying well you know if there's too many sort of definitions and if there's cultural bias at play then it's better just to close that door to god altogether no i'm i'm just saying um i don't see anything that transcends like our own tribalism and our own like making god in our image yet right there's nothing out there that that it, unless you're defining god as like something in quantum physics which uh, that's not god to me that's physical physical traits or properties so <laughs> maybe you need to redefine god then i don't know yeah i don't know Man, yeah I, I, I see what you're saying yeah like for me it's not it's not a matter of being sure there's not a god sure no one can say for sure if there's not or is but all of the evidence points towards no I don't know. I'm just, I'm just. Well, like, but, but it, it, I, I think it goes back to what you said. You have to define what you mean by God. And there's so many different characteristics that you would have to address. And, right. and do those match up with what other people are conceiving of as God when you use that three letter word or, mm -hmm. or not? What, what's, what's the difference to you, Delaney, between these words atheist and agnostic? Because as, as I listened to Tom talk about why he, prefers agnostic over atheist. I understand the, the, the emotions um, in, in him making that choice. I, mm -hmm. I, I'm not quite sure if 
for, for you, you're just saying it how it is. You're an atheist where, yeah, there's not enough evidence to believe in a God and I'm okay saying that, that that's what atheist means. Um, whereas the other, the, the baggage that goes along with atheist that makes Tom uncomfortable doesn't make you uncomfortable. Um, I'm, I'm curious about that. Um, yeah, I mean, also I define myself as an atheist because I live my life as if there is no God. Sure. Yeah. So that just makes more sense to call myself an atheist because I'm a non-theist. What, but what, wouldn't an agnostic also live their life as if there's no God? Yes, they do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I guess I've just embraced the term as maybe a way to um, give more numbers to people who are atheists, if that makes sense. Like, uh, oh, that she's, well, maybe I'm not. Oh, maybe. Oh, to, to normalize. I gonna, yeah, I was going to say. So well, you're, you're a sage normal. convert. Yeah, she's normal. She's an atheist. <laughs> May, maybe it's not such a scary term. Yeah. Goini's cool, so atheists must be cool. Yeah. Totally, yeah. Yeah. I'm not cool. (laughs) I just gave you that credibility and you shot it down. (laughs) Well, it's like the member missionary. You got to live by example. Yeah. Yeah. So, what about you, Glenn? Because you're a six on the Dawkins scale. That's pretty hard atheist. Sure. But you, you don't like the term agnostic? Uh, I mean, I. Did, did did you listen to the episode? You didn't. That I that I published today, where I'm talking with Bill Real about no, I, God. I, you got to give me um, a few days, man. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, I, I I I I believe more in a God now than I did when I used to pray to Heavenly Father. But I'm also an atheist, you know, and I'm also agnostic, and I so, so like the the. The, the way that I conceive of a God is much closer to what Delaney was talking about with like the quantum energy, the, the, like the possibility of intelligence and um, like an intelligence that's inhabiting the most subatomic particles that we're made of, that there's just so much shit going on that we are just not even aware of because we haven't, the, the way that we've evolved with our, our brains partitioned in this thing that's an ego, the way that we, that we anyway, I'm going to start sounding all new agey and I don't really want to go down that path, but, yeah. but I, I am much more open to the idea of, um, I, I, and again, I, I don't know that you would call it God because it's not a person. It's not anthropomorphized. It's, you might as well call it life and intelligence and, and that, whatever it it is or was that animated that single celled organism on this planet that I think has done the same thing on other planets and in other places and in other times. Um, it's, it's life, man. It's life. And we yeah, are manifestations man. of life right now as homo sapiens in this point of time, but life evolves and changes and, we, you know, like you look at our genetics and we're born, we're born with certain expectations just hardwired into us. It's, it's amazing. Our DNA, genetic, like all the stuff is just amazing. Well, it's, it's amazing, amazing, but it's infuriating too. Like, I mean, why is it that I have to walk down the street and I get an erection for no apparent reason? 
That's biology, dude. It's genetics, man. Like what? Okay. Like I, you, you think I want? I, I, I really I don't know, you. Tom. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, I, you're I, saying? In fact, I would say, I, I would say that there probably is a reason that oh, you really? got that erection. Yes, there is a reason, and, and huh? that's yes. Of course, there's a reason. And it's not, and it's not biology or genetics or you know just leftover DNA from some ancestor. Blah no, blah blah. That is the reason. Yeah. That, okay. Thank <laughs> you. Right. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Glenn was leading towards like, oh, you didn't see that girl that was walking by? Yeah. No, no. I was holding up a Rorschach test and wanted to see what <laughs> <Rorschach>. it was. <laughs> no, I, there's a lot. There's a, I mean, I just wanted to offer the counter that there's a lot amazing going on with this, but there's a lot of shit show stuff going on with this too, man. So, so your, your best example of a shit show is you walking down the street getting No, hurt. that's not my best example. That was that's, my that's the first place you go. I know. To say, listen, listen, listen. Yes, it was a terrible example. Yes, I, I was on the fly. My apologies. Okay, how about cancer? That's as long as you weren't out of the fly. <laughs> Boy, there's going to be a lot of Glenn groans in this one. Oof. <laughs> already is. <laughs> no, like cancer, right? I mean, that's, that just comes. And there's a lot of like explanations as to why it comes. And, you know, there's, there's weird stuff going on in our bodies that cause it. And it's, it's really difficult to treat. Yeah. So our bodies and life is so amazing, but yet we still do, our bodies do shit to really sabotage our lives too. So I don't know, man. No, I agree with you. I mean, it doesn't touch life at all. Natural systems are super complicated, like really complicated. And there's a lot we still don't know. Yeah. Life, life, life continues despite the cancer. And it evolves. But life continues evolving to the most hostile uh, environment. Yeah, if, we, you want to, if you want to look at life as like an entity, as well, one as, single as, thing. Some, as something that's bigger than just what we are. Ah, there it is. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I, I freaking listened to, to Joe Rogan maybe a year or so ago, and he's interviewing Paul Stamos, who they're talking about mushrooms. And Paul, no, <laughs> Paul Stamos says, right now. It's oh, it's team. such a good episode. It's such a good episode. And, and, he, and he says something like 250 million years ago, and I probably got the number wrong, but when, when we, uh, like, when we separate, how, how would you say this? Um, we, we were related, we were the same thing as mushrooms at one point in our evolution. And then we went down a different path than they did. 30% of the soil mass, when you're walking on soil, the 30% of the biological carbon is fungal. And the biggest... Whoa, biggest whoa, 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 whoa. Say that again. 30%. 30% of soil is fungal mass, living and dead, of healthy soil. So, and this is the biggest repository of carbon in the world, uh, in the ground, is related to these fungal networks. So, there is about 8.3 to about 10 million species on the planet. About right now, about half of those are fungal species. They outnumber plants uh, up to 8 to 1, 10 to 1 by by some estimates. Uh, Really nice, interesting metric. And one meter of a tree root, for every meter of a tree root, there's a kilometer of mycelium. Now think of that. Three feet versus 2,200 feet. So that, that the extensiveness of the mycelial network in our landscapes is vast. 
And it's a, it's a, it's, I call it Earth's natural internet. It's, this is a, these are membranes that are literally sensitive. I think they're sentient. They respond to every footprint that we take on this planet. And as you walk across landscapes, you're breaking wood, and that makes new nutrition available. So the competition of fungi to find that new, new nutrition is fierce. And so first to the menu wins. Uh, so this is something that we are now understanding how essential they are for preserving biodiversity and for the health of the ecosystems as well as our own personal health. So when you say you think they're sentient, to, to what degree? I mean, and you're not talking about just like psilocybin you're, you're, yeah, see, or Amanita muscaria. We, or, we, we're kind of intellectually provincial in that we are using language and we've invented terms in order to describe concepts that we're trying to – we're struggling with. So the let me describe it this way. that We separated from fungi 650 million years ago. Maybe you did, dude. I know some people that are probably still. <laughs> well, basically, we 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 are des- descendants uh, of fungi. Yeah, um, we share more common ancestry with fungi than we do with any other kingdom. And fungi are closer to animals than they are to plants. Animals came from fungi. Whoa. You and I are actually fungal bodies. Oof. I'm speaking to basically another fungal body right now. So Joe Rogan, I mean, whether you know it or not. You, you're basically a, a fungal mass. Okay. And from a cellular point of view, under the microscope, human cells, animal cells, and fungal cells are very, very similar. We exhale carbon dioxide. We inhale oxygen. Um, as do fungus. As, as the fungus does. We separated from fungi. Basically, we chose the route to encapsulate our nutrients in a cellular sac, a stomach, digesting our nutrients within. The fungal systems digest their nutrients uh, externally. They exhale oxygen, uh, inhale uh, carbon dioxide. And um, their network-like design allows them to respond to catastrophia. And what I mean by that is that the mycelial networks, they're so dense in the soil, and they have uh, literally hundreds of billions of tips. And as these tips are growing out, uh, they tend to be polynucleate at the tips. And it allows them to upregulate new enzymes, acid sequences, et cetera. So if there's a new ecological challenge, a new food source, a new toxin or something, the, these fungal networks are so uh, have great plasticity in being able to code for new sequences from their DNA. So all you need is one of those hundreds of billions of tips to find a new enzyme to break down a toxin or a new food source. And what happens then is that information then is incorporated genetically into the mycelial network. And the mycelium then surges because it has new food, logically. And so when it surges, it creates a new, uh, uh, it's called a sector of mycelium. We now know there's evidence that the mycelial network then, uh, that it benefits from that tip exploration and discovery. So these are like massively resilient, adaptive organisms um, that have a network-based design, not dissimilar from that of our neural networks, not dissimilar from the computer internet. And more and more that I explore this, the more I'm convinced that we will find network-based organisms throughout the cosmos, probably uh, fungal systems. And fungal systems uh, ultimately give rise, in our case, animals, and it's more likely we'll find fungal animal relationships all all throughout the universe. And I and I just went, oh my god, yeah, of course, duh. You can say that about pretty much everything. We, we all yeah. have these common ancestors. We only think of ourselves as Homo sapiens, mm-hmm. but you know, like that's not what the history of what we have been on this planet is. 
And so, you know, I, and like, I'm not saying that this is evidence of God, that there's, you know, like Heavenly Father did it that way, you know, that, so that we would evolve into people and look like him. That's, that's, not, that's not what I mean. But just that, that life is so um, majestic and mysterious and so much more than what we typically think of that that's where I put my reverence and awe and say, okay, so if there is a, a God in any kind of way that I used to respect and reverence heavenly father and Jesus and the Holy ghost, I'm going to throw it in <laughs> into just like my reverence for life and, you know, science as the way that we understand to the best of our ability and continue to improve on that. As, as fair, process. fair enough. But it definitely, I mean, your whole speech sounded very much like a stoner's monologue. Well, you know, as soon as they told the joint away, check out life, man. We don't understand everything that's going on in the world. I'm not stoned, <laughs> Tom. I didn't say you were. I said it was yeah, a stoner's monologue. Mushrooms, yeah. Here's the question. Yeah. How do I get into Mushrooms? Yes. Oh. How do I get into these clinical trials for <laughs> microdosing and psilocybin and stuff for like anxiety and depression? That's what I want. Yeah. Somebody really? hook me up. Somebody hook me up. <laughs> <laughs> if somebody has a connection, just contact Delaney. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I I don't know if I, you know. Even though I knock, get- knock and it shall be opened unto you. I think is what the scripture says. <laughs> Asking you shall receive. I, yeah. I, Actually, I, I do want to do a book review. Like after we finish a, a manual for creating atheists, I don't know if this is the next one that I want to do, but eventually I want to do Michael Pollan's uh, yeah. mind yeah. Uh, oh, where, cool. he, where he talks about psilocybin and LSD and DMT and, and this whole thing. Uh, interesting stuff. Yep. But that's just going back to Tom calling me a stoner. And I didn't call you a stoner, dude. I said it sounded like a stoner monologue. Rewind the tape, man. Well, rewind the video. Have you pulled out a vape pen at all? Okay. No. Those listening don't know. See? Only Matt and Phoebes and Brock know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Only those tuning in know if Glenn actually had a vape pen or not. Who knows? That's right. That's right. I won't tell, guys. <laughs> What's that, Brock? I won't tell. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I think that wraps it up for tonight. Is there, is there anything that anybody wants to say in conclusion with this? We'll do this again next week with, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm going to want to take this chapter by chapter because it can yeah. get a little pedantic, but um, mm-hmm. I really want to get to the cultural relativism. Yeah. Bit. So, so maybe I'll skip ahead to that or, or pull like a, a, a gist of chapter four and the gist of chapter five or something like that. But I'll, I'll put together some clips. We'll do this again next week. Okay. Um, but any any final things to wrap up? Nope. I, act, I, I Again, I'll say I really appreciate his perspective. I mean, yeah. I clearly disagree with a few things here and there, but I mean, I've, I've been enjoying his, uh, his words in his book. So, yeah. 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 And, and I, I think one of the things that could be interesting in, in future episodes is when we listen to the case studies, because he, he has a lot of case studies where he'll say, I was at the grocery store and somebody started talking to me about how Jesus changed their life. And I'm like, oh, we're going to have this conversation right now then, huh? Okay, let's go for it. And so he, he talks about that. Um, huh. So we, we, 
maybe we could uh, dissect some of those. Um, Sounds because good. if if you if you are being proselytized by someone else, why not? Why 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 sit there and just out of politeness pretend like you're not interested or that you don't have an opinion? That's um, right. Jesus. You know, Why not like, turn that sucker into a bash yeah. session? Exactly. I just yeah. pretend that I am interested. You pretend. <laughs> you pretend like you're interested. You pretend well, to be interested in things that you're not. I think that's the definition well, of faith. I, I live in West Virginia, and when I pick yeah. up my kids from school, there are some awesome people. <laughs> yes. And they tell me all about, like, you know, ancient aliens and. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I'm not going to be like, yeah, you're full of crap. I'm just like, oh, wow. Okay. I'm going to pick up my kids now. (laughs) I want to hear more about ancient aliens. You know, the History Channel special. Do they do do stuff like that? Ancient aliens? Yeah, they make a case for for God and like um, how he's kind of left little traces in every culture. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, how aliens have kind of been like the the middleman. It's like Stargate. Yeah. I I, I, <laughs> I watched Stargate with with uh, my kids uh, a couple weeks ago. That was fun. The the old one with yeah. uh, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell and uh, that was in the nineties, right? Yeah. James Spader. Interesting stuff. All right. Thanks, guys, and and thanks to those of you uh, who sat in and watched. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you guys. Thanks for having me again. All right. Okay, see you guys next week. Bye. Hi, this is Hillary. Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Ashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? Thank you for listening to Intense on Thrones.